Happy versus Flourishing, episode 9. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas to have a more flourishing life, which is a, a longer term thing than happiness, which can be very fleeting. Today's guest is Sid Chawler. He has written a book on creativity and we're going to explore the realms of creativity. What is it? How are you able to be more creative? How can that help you in your business, in your life and so on? Why not subscribe to this podcast so you can uh, make sure you receive the episodes every week? Uh, Leave a review for us. That would really help to get the word out to more people and hope you enjoy this week's show. Happiness versus flourishing. And my guest today is Sid Chawler. How are you, Sid? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tony? Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. And you're, you just were telling me you're in D.C. today. I am in D.C. Uh, unfortunately, I would love to be in New York. <laughs> That's where I live right now. But, um, you know, with these circumstances out of our control, I thought being in the center of the world for the pandemic is not the best place to be. Mm, yeah, New York's been hit pretty rough, I, I hear. Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, it, it's one of those places where there's so much uh, influx of people from around the world coming in. And I lived in the center of Manhattan, so inevitably I would have run into someone with COVID-19 or some situation like that. Um, and the other downside of it is that the hospitals aren't able to keep up with the amount of people that are getting hospitalized. So that's the main right. issue that we're seeing in New York. I've actually taken this quarantine as an opportunity to work on myself and self What I guess what I've noticed is that during this quarantine time, there's two types of people, right? There's a type who end up sitting at home, drinking every day, hanging out with friends over Zoom and not paying much attention to themselves, right? And then there's the second part of these people who are coming out of quarantine with six-pack abs and a mental framework from reading 10,000 books. So I'm, it's going to be a really interesting time to see what the world looks like in another year. Um, and I guess in my situation, since I wasn't in New York and busy with my social life, I was able to actually, you know, move forward and finish writing my book and take time to invest in myself, read more books and, you know, get my fitness in check. And I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's an interesting time. What is, I know that you've got quite an interesting background and as you mentioned that you just finished your book. So what is your... So you mentioned that you came over to the States when you were, I think, in your teens, you, when we started talking before the recording. And how, since you arrived in the States, what, has, what was your journey? What have you been doing? When I moved from India, it was, I want to say, one of the toughest, yet looking back, best experiences of my life. And mm-hmm. being an Indian, growing up in India, I was actually in uh, America before then. So I'll give a brief history. I was born and raised in Michigan for one to four years old, lived in DC uh, till nine, moved to India. And then six years later, came back for 10th grade back in DC. And I guess I've always been this fish out of water, right? Uh, as, as an Indian living in India, I was looked at as an American. And when I was in America, I was looked at as Indian. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've always had this identity crisis, like where, who am I, where am I really from and all these things. And I've come to determine that, uh, you know, I'm 100% American, but identify, you know, as Indian heritage. So, you know, first and foremost, that's who I am. And when I moved to America, I went to high school and I noticed I was 
different than others in a sense that I had bigger dreams and ambitions. But the education system here puts you through a certain rings of, of hoops that you have to go through to identify as smart or not smart, gifted and talented. We have all these different terms for programs. Hmm. Unfortunately, I have this quote in my book, and I love this quote so much. It's by our favorite genius, Albert Einstein. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's, uh, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will forever be thinking it's stupid. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what large of our education system is here in the States. And mm-hmm. in India, it's pretty much similar too. But after high school, I went to Indiana University for college. And that's where I started delving a little bit more into my passions. I was passionate about technology, passionate about um, information systems, how technology was changing the world. And from there, I ended up getting a job with J.P. Morgan Chase in New York. And that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. specializing in data strategy. But one key thing that I noticed this whole entire time throughout my journey was this, it was creativity. Because for some reason, when I looked at the greats versus the goods or the, the, the legends versus the non-legends, it always came down to creativity. And mm-hmm. I guess the, the way it sparked was one, since I was young, I, I played the piano as well. It's <laughs> the, in India, I was called Indian Mozart for a solid six months, but I remember thinking that we're playing these pieces by Mozart and Beethoven and Bach, and we have no clue how they came up with it. We mean, like, yes, we know that we have the script of the music, but was the creativity aspect of it? Did it creativity something they could just draw from their psyche? Was it something that they could just pull out of thin air? Mm. And we've been playing their pieces for hundreds of years, and mm. you would say, what? and I would say at least say to myself that. Why hasn't been there more development in this front? I mean, there's a new song on the radio every day from, a, you know, someone on YouTube, but <laughs> what's going on here? And that's when I started digging into the sense of creativity. And then throughout my life in different periods, when I was in high school, I noticed, all right, the creative ones are winning science fairs, even though their product is really not the best in college. Okay, technology, you can have the best technology adept, you know, system but if it's not a creative way of introducing it to people, it's not going to help. So, and then over and over again, I noticed a sense of creativity. And then one day I was in New York and coming back from the subway and I heard this amazing singer and she was phenomenal. I, I would say probably one of the best singers I've ever heard in my life. And I go back to my room and I'm thinking, I mean, there's people on the radio, people, musicians, artists who probably sing just as good, if not like, you know, equivalent to this woman I heard on the subway. But then why is the woman not, why is she not successful? Why is she not uh, coming up in the the charts and the musics? And I think this is where I love your podcast, Happy vs. Flourishing, because there's such a big difference. You can be flourishing as an artist, but you're not happy if you're, you know, getting pennies and dimes. And it's not just a financial situation, but it's also a little bit deeper than that. Um, and what I started doing was just, uh, just consuming everything I could on creativity and understanding that, okay, this, the only reason this, this woman who is a singer, one of the main reasons was she was just not creative. She was singing other people's songs, right? Mm-hmm. And I kept finding this pattern over and over again. And nowhere I looked was there a book on creativity. There was science of creativity, but there wasn't a book for people like you and me and for you know your audience or anyone who just wants a couple of actionable advice on how to be more creative in their everyday mm-hmm. scenarios. And that's mm-hmm. where I started thinking, well, if there's no book written, uh, let me write a book. 
And I didn't know the ABCs of writing a book. I'll tell you, that was the toughest part of writing the book, not the content. I came up with the, the, the Word document many, many months ago. It was, okay, finding the publisher. Okay, there's no publisher. Then publishing yourself and then coming up with a cover, editing, the XYZ, all of it. But um, I guess in a long answer, um, what I ended up becoming is a person who is obsessed about creativity and hacking people's inner genius. And that led to me documenting my journey of publishing my first book on, on my social media. And people were uh, amazingly engaging with me. They're like, oh, tell me more. They want to learn more. Um, and I think this is a, a big problem in a lot of the people in personal development. They read a lot, but they don't execute. They, read, mm-hmm. they can read How to Win Friends and Influence Your People, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Name any of these books. But then they don't execute it. They don't do anything with it. It just becomes a nice piece of artwork on their bookshelf, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to create a book that actually was like, here are the key takeaways and do these exact things. And within it, I have these like light bulbs too, which people are like, mm-hmm. all right, this is a light bulb. This is an actionable advice. So I wanted to be the testament for that and say, hey, I'm going to make myself a guinea pig, for example, and take all of these things and actually execute it. Uh, so I don't know if you're an early riser or not, but one of the things I had to start doing was waking up early because <laughs> I still had a nine to five job at the time. And I, I mean, I still do, but one of the key things was I needed to create time for my genius to breathe in a metaphorical way. And I, I'll get more into that uh, later if you know you have any questions about, you know, how to boost creativity and things like that. But I started waking up early and showing how it became an early riser and documenting that. And then Overall, the, the, the response was overwhelming and becoming an early riser, hacking my inner genius. These all are things that I'm so excited to start sharing to the world. So in a, in a, I guess in a long-winded answer, uh, now my goal is helping elevate people's quality of life all before 8 a.m. And, and that's what I do right now. And that's my whole goal in impacting and becoming a, you know, a, a, a influencer, a thought leader. That's my main mission in, in impacting everyone's lives. And so do you do that? Is it just through the book that you're aiming to do that? Or are there other ways that you're doing that as well? So I'm still in the process of figuring out next steps. But I really loved this early riser habit and how I could actually organize my day to be more creative, how I could actually induce creativity and breakthroughs by waking up a bit earlier and actually having a ritual and systems like that. So I have, so I saw how powerful that habit was of just waking up a couple of hours earlier. So I, I, and me as a night owl, I would sleep till like one or 2 a.m., right? And then I would always, mm-hmm. even though I knew the science band early rising was valid, there was always that false belief that, oh, I'm just wired to be a night owl. Benjamin Franklin was wrong, right? <laughs> or whoever these people are who always say, wake up at 5 a.m. Hmm. But I started doing that, and I just noticed an immense difference in my productivity. Adding three extra hours to your day, you know, that's 21 hours a week. It was just phenomenal what happened in my experience and my growth. And that's one key takeaway. So I noticed if I could do it myself, and there's a lot of science behind what it did. Like there's 66 days to create a habit, and every day you have to wake up, and there's a lot of life hacks. I'm huge on life hacks. I ended up creating this course that I now, you know, I, I offer on my website so people can actually, you know, learn for themselves to learn what I did without having to read this, you know, six books and everything else I did. 
is it just through the book? I mean, are you actually sort of working with people and trying oh, to oh, help yeah, them sure. develop? Absolutely like that. Yeah, I mean, I do some coaching here and there. Um, the main way I help people is, I know it's not the most <laughs> the most profitable, but I just give a lot of my free content on social media, knowledge, mm-hmm. go live on social media. Um, everything I do is, you know, I just keep providing as much value as I can to my audience. Um, I really haven't found a, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be someone who constantly, um, you know, bothers people on social media. So I just post, you know, three, four times a week with some high quality content that people can take away from. So that's the main way to try to help people. And then, you know, coaching on the side. But uh, besides that, it's uh, been pushing this book and, um, you know, you know, having people come to me to learn about what they can do to help organize and structure their lives to have more breakthroughs and be more creative. And when you talk about creativity, are you, is this in any particular area of life or, you know, relating to a particular sort of industry or is it just creativity in general? That's actually a really good question. People often get confused with uh, creative from work, creative from home, but creativity is creativity. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, have a preference. And simply by just being a little bit more creative, yes, you can be more successful by you know, competition in your business, but you can also be successful in your personal life. For example, there might be uh, situations where you can fix a, a problem or a stove with a creative way. And there's many times we think to ourselves um, that how a solution to a problem was, you know, and we, for example, I guess, um, and this is a metaphor I like to give, the, the person who created the tin can was obviously a great innovation and that helped with the armies and helping people, you know, continue to store food. But the creation of a tin can opener happened a hundred years later. And it, it, it boggles my mind that before then, for a hundred years, people were taking these tin cans and smashing them on the floor with rocks or trying to open with knives and getting injured. But there was an easier way to do it. And that's what creativity comes down to, a, a unique way to do something that you've already done. Creativity can even be just taking a new route to work and you saved five minutes on your time. Creativity can mean you know, wearing clothes in a different way that shows off your personality more in a way that you like. Uh, creativity can be starting that blog you always wanted to start. In my situation, it was writing a book. And you know, in your situation, it was probably starting the podcast. So creativity can, um, can, can manifest itself in many ways. It just so happens that people think about it in the context of business. You know, we live in this innovate or die economy where, where people feel pressure to innovate. You know, it used to be a publisher parish in the academic world. But um, people nowadays feel like they need to have a breakthrough to be good at their job. But you need a breakthrough in every part of your life. It doesn't make sense to just be good at work but not good in other areas of your life. Well, it's interesting because you say that people feel they can only be creative at work. But there's also, I think there's a number of people who when you talk about creativity, they immediately think of being a musician or a painter or something like that. And, and so they're they therefore say, oh, I'm not creative because I don't paint or I don't play an instrument. And they don't realize that creativity is so much more than that. Yeah, absolutely. I love you. I love you brought that up, Tony, because one of the interesting things, uh, and I touch on this too in the book, is genius is expressed in many ways. Cristiano mm. Ronaldo is a genius at football, right? Mm. And, you, you know, and that's one example. You, you know, people are genius 
of course, in the traditional artistic ways, but Steve Jobs is a genius at marketing. You know, uh, there's many examples of geniusness. You can be a genius mom. You know, you, if you're a home worker, you can be a genius at the way you take care of kids and get them to sleep. You can be a genius dog trainer. There's, there's so many ways you can be a genius in life. It doesn't have to be just those people who we see on media, I guess, going back to <laughs> our original point. Um, but a geniusness expressed is in a way that's personal to you. And there's many ways to do it, but it comes down to creativity, essentially, and the way you live you know, your life in a healthy manner and that sort of stuff. So do you have a theory on why people are so, um, why they have such a problem with creativity? Well, I think there's like a, there's many myths and false beliefs around like innovation and genius ideas, right? First is this uh, thin air myth that innovation just comes out of thin air. Uh, first of all, science has shown this is absolutely not true, right? Innovation is just the same idea but applied to different fields or tinkering smaller tweaks to an existing idea in the same field. You know, for example, Uber, you know, the, uh, the car ride sharing company didn't invent the concept of a taxi or car service, but now Uber's mm-hmm. worth more than any car service in history. So if you look at the light yeah. bulb, the steam engine, these are all just pre-existing innovations that were built upon the shoulders mm-hmm. of giants, you know, and I think another, so I think second reason why people have this, um, you know, this, this fear or honestly just idea that they can't be created themselves is that everyone wants to hear one, two, three breakthrough, right? This like epiphany that happens right then and there. So just to be honest with you, Tony, there's not a one, two, three breakthrough. Science doesn't say that you can just have an epiphany out of thin air. That doesn't happen. But here are steps. There are steps you can take to highly increase the chances of breakthroughs to set the conditions that can induce breakthroughs. And lastly, there's this, um, I think, in my opinion, there's this methodology that breakthroughs happen to only very special people. And I used to believe that for the long time, right? I would be in math class and I would stare at the, the, the boy's head in front of me who got the highest grades in maths. And I would say, how big is his head compares into his brain? Is that why he's so smart, you know? And I would always have these weird ideas in my head about creativity that, but of course, if you weighed his brain and Einstein's brain and my brain, they all will weigh the same. It doesn't mean you're smarter or less smart. But breakthroughs that happen only very special people is another myth, that they randomly come to them and there's nothing you can do. It's just a domain of geniuses and the rest of us just don't have it, right? For example, Elon Musk was sleeping on a park bench and then one day he woke with the idea of a Tesla. That's not how it happened. Um, Everyone has the architecture, the brain architecture for geniusness, for breakthroughs, for having creative ideas. It's just understanding that they're, they're not accidental, they're induced. And so you're, what you're saying now about your whole way of thinking about creativity and trying to help people with that, is that something that's been with you for a long time? Were, were you thinking like this when you were, say, at school? I mean, how, how did this all develop? Uh, uh, yeah, and that, I think this is where I wish I knew this stuff before because I would always beat myself down. Because I think I brought this up in the beginning when I was in school. I wasn't exactly, I felt like I was different. I wasn't exactly the smartest or getting the best grades. And I guess back to my Einstein quote, if you judge a you know, fish by its ability to climb a tree, you'll believe it's being stupid. And that's back to your point, Tony, that you can be genius in soccer. You can be a genius in all these other fields in life. But just because you're not a genius in 
you know, taking standardized testing doesn't mean so. So I, for a long time, believed that I just didn't have the creative gene, call it. I was just not wired for it, if you will. And I, I played piano, and I was like, you know what? I, can, I got this piano thing down, but I can't do anything else. So over and over again, I would compare myself to others and use it as an excuse almost that, oh, she got the best grades because she's a genius. Oh, she went to Harvard because she's a genius. I couldn't possibly do that. Oh, she wrote a book because she's a genius. I couldn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I would have these narratives built in my head that allowed me to essentially use creativity and genius as an excuse. Oh, I'm not built that way. It's not for me. That's why she got it. And it would force me almost to not work hard at it and take the step back. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, I guess to, once I started doing this research, it came down to me that there is actually more to it. You can be creative. You can be genius. And that's why I want to uh, share this idea with everyone because it's not a fallacy that you have to be an Edison or a, a Ford. Innovation used to be for the privileged few, right? People who had, you know, were standing on the shoulders of giants who were in this academic fields, or science fields. But we're living in a time in history now where technology has put so much power into the hands of individuals. I mean, for example, you and I were able to talk from countries away and create a podcast that, you know, many of your listeners were able to listen to all just through technology. And this wouldn't have been possible. I would have to actually take a boat to see you, have the conversation in person, have someone record it. So since we essentially uh, used, since potentially technology has taken up a lot of portions of our lives, Everyone now just expects, oh, if you're not having a paradigm shift, you're not a genius. But hmm. it's a little bit, a little bit more deeper than that. And something you were saying just then, when you were talking about um, other people were so, you know, really good at one thing, and you weren't, and someone else was good at another thing. And and that's, I think, another big problem with many people when it comes to creativity is the constant comparisons and always comparing themselves against other people who may be at a completely different stage of life, different experiences. Different, and the only person you really should be comparing yourself to is how you were yesterday. Absolutely. I mean, comparison is a thief of joy. I think uh, Roosevelt said that. And I, I love that quote because comparing yourself to other people is probably one of the worst things for, um, you know, not just your, your level of satisfaction, but your mental health. And, I see this mm. all the time on social media. You see, oh, they're doing, they're on their Lamborghini on a yacht and they're 12 years old and they made <laughs> $20 million already. Mm. And then you can't help but compare yourself to them. Um, mm. And yeah, unfortunately, that is, that is a, a disease that a lot of us have. And it's only getting perpetuated mm. further with social media and these type of things. But um but uh, I guess fortunately for uh, creativity, um, it doesn't matter where you are in life if uh, you know you can have a breakthrough. Um, one of my favorite stories is about Archimedes, you know, in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. And this shows at the yeah. time Archimedes uh, wasn't exactly like a really famous. Uh, and, and, and as you know, Archimedes is a really famous mathematician. But at the time, mm -hmm. he was not exactly famous. He was just a random guy. So what happened mm -hmm. was the king at the time had a huge heavy crown and he was wanting to learn how much it actually weighs. There were no weighing mm. balances or scales at that time. So he says, hey, if anyone figures this out, how to measure and weigh in a regular object, I'll give them a free prize. I forgot what it was exactly, but 
uh, Archimedes mm. goes back home and he's thinking about this for so deep and long and he sits in the bathtub and as he sits in the bathtub, uh, he realizes the water moves up while he sits down. And this is mm. when we all have this Eureka, right? And we all have this image of Archimedes running naked through the streets, <laughs> screaming Eureka. Um, mm. But essentially uh, what he figured out was that during his bath that you can measure an irregular object by submerging in water. So yeah. breakthroughs tend to be a very concrete answer to very concrete problem. And that's, mm. I guess, what it comes down to. I, I guess I forgot what was your initial question. Oh, the comparison to others, right? But yeah. um, I guess we made a, a, a different circle. But uh, yeah, when you compare yourself to others, it definitely, it definitely can damage you know, your levels of creativity and wanting to be you know, better than you actually are. Some people just want to throw in the towel and some people want to shoot for the stars, you know, back to this whole quarantine situation. Some people want to be a couch potato and some people want to take their life to the next level. So it comes down to who you are. And, and also what you just said about the, the Archimedes, I mean, something else about that that I think people um, sometimes don't realize is they they have an issue and they're trying to think of a solution and they're just tearing their hair out trying to think of a solution which is the worst thing they can possibly do and whereas if they just sort of had relaxed go for a walk have a shower whatever they're far more likely to come up with a solution because then their brain is more receptive because they're more relaxed they're not stressing themselves out and but it's not it's not realized enough i don't think that and what's interesting about what you just brought up is um and and it's funny to hear about it because you're explaining Uh, I can explain the science behind how you feel the way you feel in regards to that. And I'll get into that in a second. But what you basically explained is how the brain works in terms of creativity. Um, And Mm. essentially, neuroscientists are pretty clear, you know, what part of your brain is all source of human creativity. And that's called the default mode network, the DMN. And if at any point I get too technical or sciencey, just let me know. I'll explain it in a a bit easier terms. But that area of your brain is called default because it's always on um it's always mm. processing in the back whenever you have these daydreams or or whenever you're sitting there and just thinking about oh that smells really nice but you're not consciously thinking about it that's your default mm. mode network so yeah. what's interesting is that that's usually not turned on because we have another part of our brain called the executive mode and consider this as like the ceo of the brain this is the guy mm. who um or girl or circle or anything that <laughs> goes and actually makes a decision making for example your dmn will be like hey i want to go to bali tomorrow and your executive mode mm-hmm. will actually go to the spicejet.com and book the tickets and actually get you there um mm-hmm. the downside is that executive mode network is operational it's like a manager it handles your emotions your reactions your your decision making powers but it's not creative mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what happens is that your dmn can't be turned on the same time executive mode network is turned on. That's just not how your brain works. It's always one or the other. And since we are stuck with phones and laptops and phone calls and screens, our executive mode network is continuously on at all times. And we have this backlog of genius ideas sitting in our DMN that aren't able to come to the forefront because our executive mode is always on go, go, go. So technically, we all have the same architecture for breakthroughs. We're all born with it. Um, but our brains pretty much just get out of shape. You know, for example, if you aren't getting a breakthrough, people just think how you should think, oh, I'm not creative, right? But that's mm. like telling a couch potato to go do 10 push-ups when mm. they can't even do one. They say, I'm not wired for doing a push-up. 
No, you just aren't wired for being a genius, right? That's what they say for the same thing. But you can actually practice to let your default mode network shine and be creative and have breakthroughs. If you're not in the flow of it, you're just, not, you're just out of shape, essentially, for your brain. Um, so, And that's the interesting part you brought up. So that's why people always wonder, why do I have genius ideas in the shower, right? Why do I have mm. genius ideas in, uh, while taking a drive? It's because yeah. you're, ab- you're, you're doing a mindless, intentional mindless task. Your yeah. default mode network is on and your executive mode is off. Um, when you're doing the dishes, your body, your brain knows exactly what to do. Pick it up, clean the dish, and put it in the in the rack, right? So your mind, executive mode network is distracted. So it's letting this backlog of genius ideas come to the forefront. And that's when you're like, oh, that's why the light wasn't working today in my bedroom because of this thing. And I'll do this creative way to fix it. Yeah. So, so when you talk about that, it makes me wonder then, do you in your book mention anything sort of like meditation helping that process? Uh, I I have a chapter full on just meditation. And the reason why is because, um, and meditation, seriously, just meditate a lot and a lot and a lot. I don't know, Tony, are you much of a meditator? Yeah, I have been for a few years, yeah. Yeah, and you've probably noticed how it's it's made you more present and and aware of situations in life. But Absolutely, focus. Focus is huge productivity. But where meditation comes into play for genius and creative ideas is not focus productivity. It's actually uncertainty because innovation Mm. by its nature is uncertain. And people Mm. are often so scared or have fear holding them back because they're not comfortable with uncertainty. But innovation Mm. by its very nature is uncertain. When you throw Mm. yourself into meditation, you're just alone with your own thoughts. It's, it's practicing being comfortable with uncertainty. You know, if I yeah. want to just pick up my phone and watch a YouTube video, I know what to expect. I'll be distracted. But when you throw yourself into a mm. void and you have nothing to distract yourself with, but just the contents of your own mind, no pen, paper, books, no gadgets, that's when you actually start getting comfortable with uncertainty. So, mm. and when you get absorbed into that and you're able to communicate with your brain on that level, then you will be able to go through the daily motions of life, being comfortable with uncertain ideas, being comfortable with trying something new, being comfortable with some people are so stuck in their ways that one of the techniques I have in my book is try brushing your teeth with the opposite hand, right? Mm -hmm. Just by practicing that, just by doing something a little bit different, people are uncertain. Some people have pushed back and like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to. What's the point? People already giving excuses to something that haven't even tried yet. And what's the downside? You just brush with your other hand. So I think meditation, that's where it comes into play of geniuslessness. It helps you get comfortable with uncertainty and tackle it through meditation. What, why, what are your thoughts on why people are so worried or... I'm not sure scared is the right word, but uh, they just think meditation won't work for them or it's just, it's a, it's a woo-woo thing. It doesn't really work. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I think there's really two things holding people back. It's really the fear of failure, but not failure, but I guess fear of shame or fear of uncertainty once again. it's. I think those are the two big monsters that are holding people back. Uh, mm. If, if, um, and, and I think meditation does have uh, an original Buddhist um, birthplace, an Indian birthplace that did originate in one of these in the countries. So people automatically assume it's a religious or a spiritual thing. And we live in a kind of a society where the word spiritual automatically puts ears up and has people like turning around 
Um, and I mean, it's okay. I understand that everyone has their own viewpoints and stuff, but I have an understanding that you can't really shun something away unless you've tried it for yourself in a way. You can't just automatically assume and inherently assume meditation is not meant for you just because you heard, once again, something on the news. Um, so what's interesting is that um, I know uh, you're really into Greek words. Uh, so how, do you know where the word nostalgia actually comes from, the root of the word? Uh, that's one I don't know. So go on, I'd be interested to hear this. Nostalgia is actually a twinge in your heart that reminds you of pain. Mm. It's okay. actually the root of the word is a twinge that is relevant to pain. And mm. that's what's interesting, that nostalgia is sure sometimes painful, sometimes nice, but it's literally mm. a twinge that reminds you of pain. And what happens is uncertainty actually registers in the human mind as almost physical pain. So when we feel a tension gap, when the brain feels like it's not easy until it can get resolved again, different parts of the amygdala light up. Everyone has different comfort levels with uncertainty, but they all register as pain. But for example, let's say you're an entrepreneur, right? You have probably a different level of comfort to risks and uncertainty. Honestly, you probably take risks all the time. You actually don't care, right? That's why these people are often credited with innovations. If you're a scientist, you're in the business of failing and trying to do a thousand ways to make it right. That's why these people are more creative. Musicians, they all they do is <laughs> they take risks with chords and notes and making different musics. So I think that's what it comes down to. And meditation, people are just, once again, scared of the uncertain. They don't know what monster is hiding behind when they close their eyes. Especially mm -hmm. in a society where right now we need to be distracted by everything. I, I mean, some of the people I talk to, I give them this idea of doing mindless intentional tasks like how often do you watch uh, a food how often do you eat food without watching TV and no one does that anymore everyone watches TV or something while eating food no one wants you to sit there and and eat food while appreciating and being grateful and practicing that gratitude of that you have food on the table and there's that's such a powerful exercise for someone to go through but instead mm -hmm. They have a freshly cooked meal that, you know, some people can't even afford and they're just turning on the TV to distract them from it. So I guess I could get really detailed into this, but I guess, I guess in the end, meditation and the awareness of what your brain and body are going through really speeds that creativity up. And it's, in, and you're it's essentially saving your capacity for handling for uncertainty for moments where it really matters. Mm. And as you were saying that, it, it reminded me about a, a quote I saw, and I've just I've just gone and dug it out about meditation because I think another problem people or some people have with meditation is they think that they're doing it wrong, and they worry that um, oh, it doesn't work for me. I don't. You know, I just I keep having all these thoughts, and I just read out this quote about that. It was um, let's see where was it. So uh, Herbert Benson, one of the world's leading researchers on the scientific benefits of meditation, puts it in a relaxation revolution. Here is a typical simple response that I give to such performance-focused anxiety. Don't worry about how well you're doing. Don't worry about whether the relaxation response is really working or whether your mental picture is maximizing your health benefits. Just do it. I also frequently use the analogy of brushing teeth. Most of us are concerned to one extent or another with dental hygiene, but we don't dwell on the tooth cleaning process. We just work away with that brush every day. Almost no one evaluates the brushing to say that was a good brush or too bad that was a bad brush. We simply do it. Similarly, if you're taking a pill your doctor has prescribed for your cholesterol or blood pressure, 
you probably don't wonder, am I putting this pill in the proper side of my mouth? Am I swallowing it correctly? And again, you just do it. And that should be your approach to mind-body treatments. Do you judge your toothbrush in? No, you just do it. Let's just brush our brains. And he talks about meditating is brushing your brain. It's clearing away all the debris in, from your brain and so on. I love that. I love that so much. And I, I think it's really funny about the brushing thing. I recently... um I guess I'm a millennial, right? So I want to research everything. And I needed a new brush when I moved back to DC for a bit. And I went through this whole rabbit hole of like, this brush is better than that toothbrush and that toothbrush. And I'm going through comparisons. I started reaching blogs. that have only like, you know, 20 views on them. And I was so deep into it. But I guess back to your point, no one's ever like, oh, why did you get so many cavities? Oh, you know what? I bought the wrong toothbrush. That's why. Mm-hmm. Like, that's never the situation. Yeah. Um, for me, um, it's almost... Uh, uh, the reason I meditate is in a sense to fall in love with myself mm. in, in a way that you're taking care of not just your body, but your mind and your spirit as well. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's one of the reasons why I like to meditate because it just makes your, it makes your mind relaxed and, and lets your body do whatever, you know, it, it allows you to, I guess, have a mental check-in with yourself. Mm. Um, and I, I always joke around it with people that, you know, meditation is the ultimate mobile device. You can use it anywhere, anytime, yeah. and you can just sit in the subway and meditate. You can sit at home and meditate. You can be in the shower and meditate. It's not something that you actually have to schedule time and make a huge environment for and then play the sounds and the music. You can just meditate while you're just waiting in line in the elevator, you know? So I, I, I you think can even, you can even do it for just one minute, can't you? Just, one minute. Yeah. Like, and what, um, one thing I really do when I, when I coach clients is I actually, the first thing I do is I recommend them to have three reminders in their day at certain periods throughout the day where they just take one minute of a mental check, one minute of a pause in their day. And mm. everyone can sacrifice three minutes of their day, right? So one, I usually say around breakfast, lunch, dinner, just have one minute where you just sit there and your alarm and your phone goes off and you just do nothing. Mm for one yeah. minute. And you will start to see how powerful that is because mm. oftentimes the reason we suffer is because we are disconnected with ourselves and meditation helps establish that connection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, the book, is the book aimed at any particular section of society or is it just sort of general for, for, for anyone? Um, the, 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 I guess the purpose of the book is to talk to people who went through something similar like me, who feel that they're just not creative, they're not genius, or being creative is reserved for the certain few. It's essentially meant to be just a layman's textbook to anyone who wants to be a little bit more creative in life. Um, and that can be, of course, in a, in a competitive competition environment within business and entrepreneurship, but it can also be for someone who is just trying to go to college or high school and be a little bit more creative in what they do. Essentially, it's going into the science behind creativity but in a way where you can actually be the smartest person in the room. It's not just the science. That's, uh, that's what I guess a lot of the books are there on the market, and which is why I was so confused how this wasn't even written, how there was no one talking about any of this. Um, so I guess it comes down to like exact steps for creativity, like things like that. These aren't words you hear or, or exactly how to create breakthroughs or I guess even just small things like, you know, what is holding us back from being more creative? And what's interesting when you brought up meditation is I brought up a lot of like lifestyle of how to be a genius, you know, and, um, you know, 
eating and nutrition, like that impacts our brain. You know, our brain is obsessed with fat and glucose. And what are the two things that dietitians put you on? No fat and no sugars. So people wonder why they become sad when they become skinny sometimes, right? And, um, you know, the link between creativity and exercise, having sleep, like there's so much that goes into, um, I guess, went into this book to not just be a genius, but just to be smart over intellect. I have a chapter, you know, like how to be smart in everyday life. And energy, which I believe is definitely more important than intellect at this point, you know, like you can be the smartest person in the room, but if you don't get out of bed, who cares? So, uh, <laughs> so there's, yeah, yeah. And, and there's like energy and like how, you know, people suck energy out of you. And by the time you get home, um, you know, you don't have anything to be, you have all these, let's say your DMN is like fully functioning, you're washing the dishes or whatever. You just have no energy to do anything. You just want to actually turn on the TV and be distracted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if, if people want to find out more about you and, and how to, I mean, I, I presume the book is in sort of like on Amazon and so on, or is it yeah. where, yeah. right, okay. And if people want to find out more about you and maybe your website and social media and so on, where, where would they go to? So I run a pretty active blog. I post one to two times a week on content related to personal development, self-growth, this sort of stuff. It's at sidchaula.com. And on it, you can also see my resources for the course I talked about earlier, coaching, that sort of stuff. Um, one of the big things I've been doing is posting a lot more life hacks and content on social media. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, um, at, at, and here's the, here's the tag. It's at Sid Sunriser. Um, it's funny because Sid Chalo was taken and I, I messaged that guy like 10, 15 times and, and he never got back to me. So I had to get a little creative with that. Right. But I've been doing this whole sunrising thing. So Sid Sunriser, and that's where you can find me. And, uh, I guess, um, I did want to leave your audience with like, I guess like some actionable advice, like I said in the beginning for how they can go mm-hmm. be creative today. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the, and, and I wanted, and I came up with a list here and it's a list of three, four things, but um, one of the things is to actually create a ritual. Like if you mm-hmm. look at most genius and artists and writers and innovators who are just wildly creative, so many of them have taken their entire day from breakfast till brushing their teeth at night and dropped it into a redundant routine that never, ever varies. You know, people yeah. are obsessed about morning routines and evening routines, that sort of stuff. But what is loading this certainty bucket is for them to have a completely blank page then for everything else they can go for. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. science, we know, like, willpower is, a fi- willpower is a finite resource. So you should save it for what's important, right? Um, mm. That's why a lot of these famous people like Jay-Z and Tom Hanks never take meetings after 6 p.m. because they know that's reserved for their creative moments. Mm. So one is to create a ritual and a morning routine, evening routine, these sort of stuff just to automatize your day so you can actually focus throughout the day what's important. The second thing um, I believe can help anyone is living a choice minimum lifestyle. People call this minimalist or things like that, but... We know the famous examples of Steve Jobs wearing the same turtleneck every single day or Mark Zuckerberg wearing the same outfit. So by reducing the choice in every possible thing that is not an important choice, you can get to use your full brain capacity for all the areas where you want to be able to. It's really the paradox of choice that harms innovation as well. For example, like if, you, if, if you're like taking a typical day, like you go to Starbucks and um, you're choosing, okay, which on the menu do I get? Then you come home and you take a shower. Okay, which soap do I use? Okay, then what do I wear for work? And then you go to work. Okay, I'm going to go to the breakfast line. Oh, what do I want for breakfast? By the time your brain actually sits down at the desk to do work, you've made six different choices that your brain is fired up for and now it's not. <laughs> mm. So, you know, instead of deciding what 20 brands of uh, Starbucks to choose from, 
um, you're not going to have as much available when you try to find that genius idea and solve that you know problem that's bothering you at work. So mm-hmm. in as many ways possible, just minimize the choices you have to make on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And the third is actually a fun one. And I wanted to give some fun ones as well because getting self-development is not supposed to just be busy, busy work, but play more poker if that's what you're into or some video mm-hmm. games. Because mm-hmm. poker is a fantastic way to get uncomfortable with uncertainty in a different way. Yeah. You know, you're mm-hmm. looking, instead of looking at things in black and white versus will it succeed or will it fail, you look at things probabilistically, which is mm-hmm. honestly the right way to go about it. You know, so when you're deciding between two options, whether you're realizing or not, you're assigning a probability of success. And that's mm-hmm. how poker helps. So you're increasing your comfort level once again for uncertainty and you're saving your capacity in the first step for, unhandl- for handling uncertain moments when it really matters. Hmm. fourth we already touched on is meditation and like seriously meditate a lot it helps every aspect of your life if not anything Hmm. it gives you overall just a calm well sense of being and i think that in itself is just a just an amazing way but even if you meditate just five minutes for a day five minutes just walking into complete uncertainty will give you anything that internal experience you go through will just be monumental and Hmm. another thing i like to add is you know because we talked about this too a lot of people aren't comfortable with meditation journaling is an incredible exercise it's having a conversation with yourself so i would incorporate journaling into any activities you can some of the greats have always kept journals and then lastly is this intentional mindless task so back to that science part we both we need both parts of the brain right we need both modes and both networks um we need the Mm -hmm. default mode and executive mode but the problem is that the DMN has a huge backlog of ideas right now, and it never gets a chance to speak up because your executive mode is always running to work the show. Mm-hmm. So when do you give it the spotlight is when your executive mode is just dis- distracted just enough to keep it busy. So doing a repetitive mindless task, such as you know, washing in the shower um, or going through a drive or, or you know, taking the dog on a walk or cleaning dishes – but the mm. trick is to actually think about the problem you're having right before the mindless task. So if you have a problem at work, think about it, then go in the shower. If you're having mm. an issue with, you know, for example, your book you're writing, think about it, then go and, you know, and go on a long drive. So think about the mm. issue at hand, have that moment, and then go do that mindless task. And you'll be amazed by the kind of ideas that pop up. Because your brain, once again, everyone's hardwired for genius and creative breakthroughs. It's just that mm. with the distractions in life and no one's really talking about this stuff, people just either say, hey, I'm not creative or I am. But mm. uh, yeah, I hope, I hope that helps. A lot more is, um, you know, I don't want to go over time or anything, but is there any, any other questions you, know, you have? Well, no, I mean, there's, there's some great tips there and I'd, I'd urge people to go and find the book. What's it? Do you repeat the title of the book again? Yep, it's Spark Your Inner Genius and Expand Your Creativity to Become the Smartest Person in the Room. Um, you can find it just typing Spark Your Inner Genius in Amazon, or you can type Sid Chawla in Amazon as well. It should pop up. And before we finish, Sid, do you, apart from your own book, is there a book that you would recommend to people? Hmm, let me think for a second here. Uh, like you, Tony, I'd love to just read as much as I can. I've been trying to get into the habit of reading more. I know you consume, I think, two to three books a day a week. That sounds amazing. Um, if I get through one book a week, I'm pretty happy. But hmm, I think one of my favorite books that I recently read was probably The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma. The reason why I found that so interesting, that and The Art of Possibility, I think those two books are really going to set anyone on the path for 
personal development, and I like the way they were personally written. The Art of Possibility, I think it was by Benjamin Zander, and his book is all about understanding the possibilities that exist in life and understanding the ways you can communicate to people to get the most out of you know what you want, life, and having that you know that effective mindset. And the Five M Club is a phenomenal book. It's actually written like a storybook. It's kind of like The Alchemist, if you've read that.、Um, mm. It's it's a storybook that kind of takes you through this journey where you learn about life and、uh, and also being part of the Five M Club. That's what kind of motivated me and sparked my interest in becoming an early riser. When I you know, I thought I would never be that person, and now I do it every day. So those two books would be a good asset in anyone's collection. And and finally, Sid, is there? Well, I think it's probably one you've already mentioned, but is there a quotation that you you really like? Yep, and I have the perfect quote. <laughs>、uh, I, it's by Michelangelo. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He was a great artist. But if you knew how much work went into it, you would not call it genius. <laughs> That is what he says after he painted the Sistine Chapel. So it always comes down to a couple of things in life, and hard work is one of them. So I always like that constant reminder. Well, Sid, I really appreciate your time, and thank you for for coming on the show and and giving the audience so many ways to think about creativity and and also some action tips on how they can go about developing it more in, in themselves. Absolutely, Tonio. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really happy. I hope I provided some value to your audience. You know, that's always my goal in all these things. So,、uh, you know, best of luck. Take care. You know, happy hand washing to everyone. And、uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully,、uh, we can do this again soon. Lovely. Thank you, Sid. Bye bye. Next week we reach episode ten with Caroline Sherlock, who is a functional medicine practitioner. If you're not Sure, what functional medicine is? It's a it's a systems biology based approach that focuses on identifying and addressing the root cause of disease, rather than just simply looking at the symptoms. Because when you go and see a GP, often they don't have enough time to really find out what is the the cause or the, the problem that you you're going to see them about. So functional medicine is looking at things much more holistically. They're able to devote much more time to to whatever it is that is bothering you. So Caroline Sherlock is a functional medicine practitioner. We talk about many different areas about antibiotics, about COVID, vitamin D,、um, colds, and, and and many other areas as well. So that's next week's episode, Caroline Sherlock. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. If you know anyone. Who maybe has issues with creativity? Why not share the episode with them to get the benefit of some of Sid's、uh, suggestions? And it would be great if you could leave a review for us, so more more people get to find out about this podcast. And why not subscribe while you're on the Apple site at the same time? Hope you enjoy this week's show, and hope you have a great week.